The reading this morning will come from 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 1 through 12. And actually, to give us some context, I'm going to begin reading uh, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, starting with verse 11. And I'll read through chapter 4, verse 12. This is the word of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting at verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed, that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands, as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We thank you that uh, you've told us that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And uh, Lord, we ask that, Lord, you would sanctify us in your truth. And we acknowledge that, Lord, your word is truth. And Lord, uh, we just pray that you would apply it to us this morning as, as uh, your word is preached. Lord, have us ears, give us ears to hear and eyes to see you in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In my uh, preparations for our FCA camp this coming weekend on this Saturday, I came across the story of Gordon Thiessen. And uh, Gordon played college football at the University of Nebraska for the Cornhuskers. Uh, from 1975 to 79 and went on to become a Fellowship of Christian Athletes uh, staff member and has authored many books on the subject of sports and and Christianity. And while Gordon was in high school, um, he's a native Nebraskan from from Lincoln, went to Lincoln East. His team had a a very, he had a good team his senior year. He had two uh, teammates who were also recruited to play for the Cornhuskers. And in Gordon's uh, senior year in high school, their defense had set a goal. Uh, not to allow any opponent to score on them. And throughout the season, they actually achieved this goal. 
Um, they dubbed themselves the zero defense, holding their opponents to zero points. And it came down to the last game of the season. Within the first few minutes, their offense fumbled the ball, turned the ball over uh, near their own goal line. And so um, the defense came on the field with, with the, having a very short field. And uh, while they made a valiant stand, they, they ended up allowing the other team to score. And um, this just devastated their defense and the whole team. You know, they had set this goal to not allow their opponents to score. And here in the last game of the season, in the first few minutes, uh, they had given up a touchdown. And um, the goal that they had set was now impossible to reach. And that demoralized their entire team. Um, having shut out their opponents the whole season, um, this last game, they ended up losing 40-0. to zero. Um, The team just never could recover from uh, the disappointment of not being able to achieve that goal that they had worked so hard to achieve and so um, they just just couldn't recover from it today um, in our text in first Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, we are given some insight into the type of goals that we should set uh, when it comes to the Christian life and how we ought to live and how, we, how our Christian walk should look and as we look at it this morning um, we'll consider these 12 verses in three parts this is uh, Dr. Warren Wearsby's uh, the way he breaks it up, and I couldn't come up with anything better, so I'll use his outline. Uh, first, in verses 1 through 8, we should walk in holiness as we strive to grow in purity and honor as Christians. In verses 9 and 10, we should walk in harmony with our brothers in Christ. And finally, in verses 11 and 12, we should walk in honesty and make an honest living, working hard to provide for ourselves and others. And so let's begin as, as we are urged to walk in holiness in verses 1 through 8. Uh, he begins chapter 4 with the word finally. Now this doesn't mean that he's going to end his letter anytime soon. Instead it signals a transition from the first three chapters where he's dealt with the doctrine and presented that to uh, the application of that doctrine in, in chapters 4 and 5. Uh, so because of the Thessalonians' sincere faith and steadfast faith, and because of the Lord's work to make them increase and abound in love and to establish their hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the, Lord Jesus, at the coming of our Lord Jesus, as we read the last three verses of chapter 3, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy ask and urge the Thessalonians to walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. First, uh, they ask and urge them in the Lord Jesus. Um, Paul and Silas and Timothy's request is not on their own authority. Uh, they ask and urge on behalf of the Lord. More on that a little bit later. Uh, interestingly, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy use the word walk to uh, represent uh, the way we live the Christian life. Uh, and that's an appropriate metaphor for living, and it's used throughout the Bible. Uh, walking in the Christian life uh, refers to a steady, continual advance. Uh, walking suggests progress. And we, along with the Thessalonians, should be progressing in our Christian lives. And at the end of verse 1, we can clearly see that progress. Um, Paul and Silas and Timothy asked and urged them to walk in a way pleasing to God more and more. Um, commentator David Guzik writes, uh, This means that Christian maturity is never finished on this side of eternity. So we will always have more progress that can be made, and we can continue walking and moving forward in the Christian life. Uh, we know we will not get to our destination on our own, but the Spirit 
uh, walks with us every step of the way and will one day raise us to glory and will perfect us to be holy as Christ is. And we also see in in verse 1 that the way they walk the Christian life should be pleasing to God. Uh, Sometimes we can focus so much on our sin and we read verses like Isaiah 64, 6 that says, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment or like filthy rags. And we consider the biblical doctrine of of total depravity or or radical corruption, as R.C. Sproul likes to put it, uh, which teaches that the effects of the fall and of our sin extend and penetrate even to the very core of our being. And we think that, you know, if even my best works are tainted with sin, how can I possibly please God? But brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us how we can please God. Uh, Here from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And so from the very day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. When we walk as Christians in the new life we have in Christ, that is pleasing to God. When we bear fruit by doing good works, not perfect works with perfect motives, but but works done in obedience, we please God. Uh, When we come to a greater knowledge of him and see him more clearly and learn more of his character and attributes, that is pleasing to God. And there is one thing that is absolutely necessary to please God. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So we see that one of the main requirements to please God is faith. And based on this entire letter, we know that the Thessalonian Christians had faith. And again and again, they are commended for their work of faith. That was Back in chapter 1, verse 3, they're commended for sharing their faith in chapter 1, verse 8. And we just uh, last week heard of the good news of their faith and love. That was chapter 3, verse 6. A faith that trusts God and magnifies him as worthy is pleasing to the Lord. And so when we walk by faith, by allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us, uh, we please the Lord. Also notice that as this idea of pleasing God is introduced, the Thessalonians are praised that they are already doing this to some extent. Uh, Verse 1 says, as you are doing. Uh, God knows the human need for affirmation. Uh, Many of us have had that boss or maybe a parent or or maybe a teacher who is just never satisfied. Uh, Even when you give your best efforts, uh, you just get no positive feedback, only criticism. Um, But Paul knows that he needs to pair his exhortation with some praise for their accomplishments. Uh, And this is something I've had to work on as a teacher. I need to uh, pair uh, my my criticism with some praise for my students. When all I have is criticism, that is devastating to a student's motivation. I've had to learn to find those bright spots and acknowledge those so that they might even hear me when I have some suggestions for improvement. Uh, this applies to our instructions uh, with Christian interactions with Christians as well, especially uh, new believers. Uh, we need to have grace with others and even with ourselves when we feel frustrated, uh, when expectations are not met, or when progress is slower than we'd like. 
And this is not new information. Uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy are simply reinforcing what they had already shared uh, when they were in Thessalonica. And in verse 2, again, the authority for this exhortation is reinforced. The words of instruction and the words they've written in this letter were given through the Lord Jesus. That word for instructions is a military term for orders handed down from superior officers. And these instructions are not merely good advice. They are authoritative commands from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so now in verse 3, the great mystery is revealed, the will of God. Uh, We've probably all asked the question at some point in our life, especially when faced with a big decision, you know, what is God's will for my life? And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, we have the answer. What is the will of God? Your sanctification. God's will for us is our sanctification. The word sanctification is actually the same word translated holiness in verse 4 and verse 7. Holiness or sanctification has the idea of being set apart for God. Uh, We come to God as sinners, but when we believe in Christ, we receive cleansing by his atoning death. Uh, Day by day, as we learn and mature and the Spirit works in us, we increasingly experience the reality of being set apart for God. And, And sanctification is the name given to this process where holiness is the final result. Uh, There are many today, as there have been throughout history, who might say, Jesus, if you're giving this free gift of salvation, sure, I'll take that. Uh, But now, what do you want me to do? All this sanctification stuff is asking too much. Brothers and sisters, that is not saving faith. The elect have been purchased by the blood of Christ. Our lives belong to God, and the lives we live, the lives we walk, must reflect this reality. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20 says, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So sanctification is not an optional part of the Christian life. Uh, True faith produces works of faith, not for any merit of salvation, uh, but simply because the blood-bought children of, of God cannot continue in unbelief. And Paul and Silas and Timothy highlight a particular area that needs focus in the sanctification journey, and it's a big one, uh, sexual immorality. Uh, By God's providence, uh, we just saw this morning in Sunday school, for those of you that were there, how sexual immorality was used by God through Ezekiel as an image of the faithlessness of Israel. You know, how could we possibly think that sexual immorality uh, would be acceptable before God? Um, The word there used for sexual immorality includes all forms of illicit sexual behavior. It includes adultery, fornication, homosexuality, incest, any sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage. It's simply incompatible with holiness. So all of our sexual ethics must be viewed in light of the fact that our bodies are not our own, but but were bought with a price. Uh, We know from other letters that sexual immorality has been a problem in other New Testament churches, and so it's not surprising that the authors would would bring it up here. And the situation in our world today is not much different. Perhaps it's even worse. Um, Christians must battle against our sinful human nature, which takes good gifts from God and perverts them for our own purposes and pleasures. So sanctification involves conforming our sexual morals and behaviors to the biblical standard. And thankfully, Paul and Silas and Timothy don't leave us with just a general command 
but they've provided some detailed instructions on how we can abstain from sexual immorality. First, in verse 4, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. We see that sexual purity involves self-control, which, as we know, is one of the fruits of the Spirit. As we grow in our walk with Christ through the Spirit, we should grow in our ability to control our desires of the flesh and to keep ourselves from sin. Second, verse 5, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Uh, The Gentiles, the, the first century Roman culture, was very much marked by sexual immorality. In the culture, faithfulness to a husband or wife was seen as an unreasonable demand. Uh, Homosexuality was not uncommon. Um, Idol worship often involved uh, temple prostitution or other sexual rituals. So, yes, lustful passion and sexual immorality was very ingrained in the culture of the Thessalonians. However, Christians are supposed to be different from unbelievers. Uh, Notice the trait that's pointed out regarding the Gentiles. It says the Gentiles who do not know God. Our knowledge of God through Christ should motivate us to abstain from sin. Uh, We think of Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We live, brothers and sisters, not to indulge our sinful flesh, but we live by faith for the living God. And next, in verse 6, we see that that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Uh, We're often fooled into thinking that sexual immorality only affects the people directly involved in the sin. But that is never the case. Uh, If it's adultery, obviously the husband or wife of the adulterers are severely affected. If it's fornication sex before marriage, then the future husband or wife is robbed of the virginity that should be brought to marriage. And beyond that, uh, every woman is is someone's daughter, and every man is a son. And if Christians, then they are daughters and sons of God. And when these sins come to light, uh, the very witness of the church can be harmed. So to engage in sexual immorality is not only to sin against your own body, as 1 Corinthians 6, 18 tells us, but but to wrong and defraud your brother in the Lord. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy's final summary in verse 7 says, For God has not not called us for impurity, but in holiness. A Christian may try to argue, but I'm one of the elect, and God can never cast me out. Uh, But Dr. Warren Wearsby responds, But election is no excuse for sin. It should be an encouragement for holiness. The privilege of election also involves the responsibility of obedience. So our bodies belong to God, and so we should use them to glorify him. Uh, This issue is serious, and so Paul and Silas and Timothy remind them again of of the solemn warning against sexual immorality. In verse 6, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, and also in verse 8, Whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So while our sexual sin may go undiscovered for years, maybe even for the rest of our lives, uh, we can trust that God will punish sexual immorality. Uh, No one gets away with this sin. Uh, We don't just sin against ourselves or only the others involved. 
but we sin against the church. We sin against God himself and against his Holy Spirit. Uh, The Spirit is actually given to empower the willing, trusting Christian to overcome sexual sin. And God has given us the resources for victory, and we must simply use them. So having urged the Thessalonians to walk in holiness, he proceeds to encourage the Thessalonians to, in verses 9 and 10, to walk in harmony. Paul and Silas and Timothy address the issue of brotherly love, which the Greek word we're familiar with is Philadelphia, uh, the deep love of affection between friends or even in marriage. Uh, Because they belong to the same family and have the same father, God himself, the Thessalonians should love one another. Uh, They love because God first loved them. Uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy had just prayed in the end of chapter 3, verse 12, that the Lord would make them increase and abound in love for one another and for all. And the Thessalonians are are commended for their love. Uh, They don't need to be taught that they're to love one another because it says they've been taught by God. Um, The word used for love when it says to love one another is agape. Uh, This is the love God shows toward us, uh, which is not simply based on feeling, but it's an expression of his will. Uh, Dr. Leon Morris says, Steadfast love to others can only come about in a man when he has been transformed by the power of the divine agape and has come to see men in a measure as God sees them. So if we are to love one another... With agape love, uh, we are to treat others as God would treat them, regardless of our personal feelings or preferences. Uh, God has demonstrated and modeled love in sending Jesus Christ to lay down his life for us. Uh, God saw that we, the human race, had a need for salvation from our sins, and he took action uh, to send his only son, Jesus Christ, to fulfill the law and die on the cross, to bear the penalty for our sins, for the sins of all the elect, and to bring us to God, And this is how the Thessalonians were taught to love, uh, by the example of God in Christ himself. And so when we want to know how to love, we need look no further than the love displayed by Jesus Christ in his life and death for us. And even a step beyond that, the, the promise that we have that we will share in his resurrection and eter- eternal life. Um, all of this uh, was only made possible uh, by Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. This is love. And this is the type of love that Christians should have for one another. And again, the Thessalonians are are commended. Uh, This is indeed what they had been doing to all the brothers, uh, even throughout Macedonia, it says. So not only were they showing love to their own church and their own community, uh, but they had found ways to show love even throughout the whole region. Uh, So they are encouraged, once again, to do this more and more in verse, verse 10. Uh, Just as they are to grow in holiness and sexual purity, uh, they are to grow more and more in the agape love and the brotherly love uh, they have for one another and for all. So this is how they can have a Christian Christian walk that is pleasing to God, to grow in love for one another. Uh, The early church was characterized by a a deep love for one another, and I believe uh, what is written in 1 Thessalonians applies to to us as well. We have been taught by God to love one another, uh, but we do not need to be urged, but we do, sorry, we do need to be urged to do this more and more. Uh, let us continue to grow in our love for one another. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 
Say, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Our brotherly love is is one very important way that we will spread the fragrance of Christ, not only to each other, uh, but to a watching world. It's very important. It's a very important part of our witness. Uh, so do not grow weary in loving one another. And um, Hope Church, this is something we already do well. Um, I have been loved well in my time here, and I've learned much about loving one another through your faithful witness. And I hope uh, to love you all with a fraction of the love with which you've loved me. And yet let the word of God in this verse encourage us to do this more and more, to be growing in love for all those in the body, as well as our community and even our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, or even those who are far from the Lord. Uh, Faith, hope, and love are defining characteristics of Christians. So let us not hide them under a basket, but let our light shine in the world. So after encouraging the Thessalonians to walk in holiness and to walk in harmony, he proceeds to instruct them to walk in honesty in verses 11 and 12. This is one of the first clues in this entire letter that something not so good might be happening in Thessalonica. Apparently, uh, with all this teaching of the wonderful privileges of the Christian life and the second coming of the Lord, uh, many among them had, had just given up on their jobs and vocations and were devoting themselves entirely to preparing for that second advent. But when days and weeks and months passed, uh, that quickly turned into laziness and idleness, and they had apparently not yet learned that if the Lord returned soon, the best way for them to be found would be to, doing their, to be doing their ordinary work. Uh, so in, in verse 11, the Thessalonians are encouraged to first live quietly. It's when we live a quiet life that we can take time and give attention to listen to God. It's how we can obey uh, Psalm 46.10 that says, Be still and know that I am God. Uh, our focus should not be on excitement or entertainment. Uh, rather than seeking what's fun, we should be pursuing what's peaceful and true and right and good and godly. Second, they're instructed to mind their own affairs. Um, some Thessalonians, probably because of their idleness, were taking an undue interest in others' affairs. As John Calvin points out, Paul and Silas and Timothy are not suggesting that everyone should just live apart and have no care or concern for one another, but they should avoid the type of meddling in others' business that creates confusion and disorder. There is an appropriate level of involvement in others' affairs. Uh, we have the command from Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, that if we see a brother caught in any transgression, we should restore him gently, keeping watch that we ourselves aren't tempted and caught up in it also. But our first concern should be our own affairs. We cannot remove the speck from our brother's eye if we have a plank in our own eye. Uh, Third, we're instructed to work, the Thessalonians are instructed to work with their hands. At this time, uh, manual labor was kind of seen as the work of slaves. It might be considered degrading in the culture of that time to do manual work. Uh, But here, as in all other areas, Christians take their standards from God and his word, not from the culture or the community in which they live. We remember that Paul himself was a tent maker. Uh, Many of the apostles were fishermen, and Jesus himself was a carpenter. Earning an honest living in any vocation that's not itself sinful is important, as we see 
In verse 12, for both our witness to outsiders and also for loving our brothers in the church. As Christians, we are the Lord's ambassadors. Uh, We must carefully consider how we represent him and commend him to others. Dr. Wearsby says, churches and Christians who defend their orthodoxy but do not pay their bills have no orthodoxy to defend. The way we individually manage our money and our households and how our church as a whole uh, manages its resources is part of our witness to unbelievers around us. You know, our words of witness can be undermined if the business of the church is not handled uh, decently and in order. And lastly, the Thessalonian Christians should be dependent on no one. Uh, Christians who perpetually rely on others or impose on others generosity, uh, they place an undue strain on their relationship with the church. You know, again, Paul is not advocating a fierce independence in all situations and at all costs. Uh, You know, when people in the church go through hard times, losing a job, losing a loved one, uh, medical crisis, and the like, you know, it's the privilege of the church to come alongside and meet the needs of that person or that family in that situation, just as we care for for orphans and widows. But adults have a responsibility as Christians to care for our own households, for our own families, and that includes providing for our physical needs. Uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy in their second letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 3, verse 10, give this command. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So this is one way we we love our brothers and sisters in the church. Uh, We should ensure that that our own families are taken care of so that we can share out of our abundance with those who are in need. So in conclusion, recall the the story of Gordon Thiessen's high school football team and their zero defense, which held opponents scoreless until the final game of the season when they gave up the score and also gave up on their now unachievable goal. Uh, This story is an illustration of one of the real dangers of setting goals based on our performance. You know, one failure can cause us to lose motivation and desire to continue on pressing toward our goal. And as a Christian, it's It's tempting to set our focus and our goal on our performance as Christians. And it makes sense. Doesn't God command us to be holy as he is holy? Unfortunately, on this side of heaven, uh, things will not always be smooth sailing. We will encounter trials of various kinds. And when when we experience failure, it's easy to give up and to give in. Uh, So Gordon Thiessen suggests a better strategy for both sports and life Uh, is to set the goal to be more and more conformed to the image of Christ. In fact, he says this command to be conformed to the image of Christ is one of the most common commands in the Bible. Uh, He says it occurs more than 120 times in the New Testament in various forms. Some examples would be 1 John 2 and verse 6, which says, As we abide in him, in Jesus, to walk in the same way that he walked. In Ephesians 5, 1, to be imitators of God as beloved children. In Philippians 2, verse 5, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So Gordon Thyssen says this is a better goal and a better target to aim for, to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ, uh, for three reasons. First, it's the goal set by our Creator, who knows us better than we know ourselves and knows what is best for us. And second, uh, practically speaking, when we inevitably fail and to live up to the standard, instead of giving up in our frustration as 
Gordon Thyssen's high school team did, uh, we, we see how much room we have for improvement, and we rely on God and press in uh, to find more strength in him to meet the next challenge, and we strive to be conformed to the image of Christ more and more as we were instructed in uh, verse 1 and verse 10 today, as the Thessalonians were. The goal is growth. No matter where we are, we can always get better uh, through the power of prayer, through the power of his word, and the Spirit's work in our lives and our hearts. And, and finally, when, while we do in this process engage in self-evaluation and self-reflection, we focus our eyes not on ourselves, but on Christ himself as we strive to become more Christ-like. You know, this, this work of sanctification is not something that we can accomplish ourselves. Uh, God works in us to sanctify us as we set our eyes on Christ and his sacrifice for us. Uh, we do as Hebrews 12, verse 3 says, we consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that we, we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let me close with a, a quote from R.C. Sproul. So what is required for us to be conformed to the image of Christ is not simply some small adjustments or behavioral modifications, but nothing less than renovation from the inside. We need to be regenerated, to be made over again, to be quickened by the power of the Spirit. The only way in which a person can escape this radical situation is by the Holy Spirit changing the core, the heart. However, even that change does not instantly vanquish sin. The complete elimination of sin awaits our glorification in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you, Lord, for your instructions to us. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us, Lord, not to remain in our sin, but you've called us out of our sin, uh, Lord, to life, new life in you. Father, we pray that you would give us strength, Lord, to live in a way that is pleasing to you, Lord, to walk um, in faith, in the spirit, Lord, as you have commanded and as, as you have equipped us, Lord, through your spirit, Lord, to, to walk in you. Lord, we ask that you would give us strength, Lord, especially when it comes to uh, these, these issues today for holiness, for sexual immorality, Lord, for honesty and for harmony. Lord, as we seek to live out the Christian life, as we seek to live together as a, as a community of faith, Lord, we, we ask for your blessing upon us, Lord, for your continued work. Uh, Lord, help us. Give us a resolve, Lord, to, to do as, as you have commanded, Lord, to, to follow the example of Christ and to be conformed more and more to your image, Lord. We, we thank you for your grace toward us, Lord, and we thank you that we can uh, keep our eyes upon you, Lord, as you have accomplished all that is needed, Lord, for life and for godliness in Christ and in his life and death on the cross for our sins and in his resurrection, Lord, which, uh, Lord, you have promised that we have the, the hope of re resurrection with Christ. And Lord, um, be with us this day and this week, Lord, as we seek to obey your commands, Lord, to be sanctified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.